Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to be welcoming Jorge Valdivia. Jorge is a Latinx LGBT activist, co-founder of the Latino Writers Initiative, and currently the Director of Performing Arts, Film, and Literature for the National Museum of Mexican Art, located in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago. So Jorge, thank you so much for joining us today. Why don't you start at the beginning and tell us a little bit about what life was like for you growing up uh, in Chicago? Certainly. So first of all, Mallory, thank you so much for the invitation to join you. Um, Yeah, so the story of how my family ended up coming to the U.S., uh, Chicago eventually, is quite interesting. Um, I didn't know this for a greater part of my life, but um, what I did know was that my father has always had a special place in his heart for German Shepherds. He just loves those dogs. And it wasn't until maybe five years ago that I learned the reason why. So my father was part of the Bracero program. That was a program that allowed um, um, basically farm workers from foreign countries, primarily Mexico and Latin America, to come and work in the US. And a lot of this work was done seasonally. Um, My father ended up coming to the U.S. uh, at one point. He would come in and out of the U.S. And at one point, he ended up here uh, as someone who was undocumented. And um, he had hired a coyote. A coyote is basically someone that you pay who guides you, who more or less already knows a certain route. to a safer route, quote unquote, route to get to the US through the border. And um, the guy abandoned him. So my father um, had some food on him. I remember uh, he had a sandwich, a torta, which is a Mexican sandwich. It's bigger, the bread is a lot lot thicker, but um, the ingredients for the most part are the same, ham, some sour cream and whatever. This was a simple sandwich. My father ends up lost in the fields of California. And he, it's late at night, it's dark, and he's been walking for hours. He stopped and all of a sudden, a dog started barking at him. And my father uh, decided to take the sandwich out of his bag and feed him the meat. The dog stopped barking and started wagging his tail and because he wanted more. So my father basically befriended the dog in that moment. He looked at him and he realized, hey, this is a healthy dog. This dog is not some stray dog. This dog is protecting someone's land. I'm gonna follow this dog. So my father waited and waited. The dog, I think finally uh, got tired and decided to go back home. And so he made his way home and my father followed him and my father ended up um, knocking on the owner's home. And that was the first, uh, that was actually the first job that my father had outside of the Brasero program in the US 
eventually after that job, he made his way to Chicago to the steel mills here in Chicago. And um, my mother followed about five years later. And I basically represent the reunion. Um, I was the first born here in the US. My mom made her way here with my two older brothers. And um, after my birth, six years later, my younger sister was born. And the rest, as they say, is history. Well, Jorge, what I love about that story is you would have to think that farmers wondering like who's knocking on his door and it could have gone either way. And that he showed compassion and kindness um, to someone who he clearly could tell was crossing the border. I think it gives me chills to think that there is that kindness still out there when we're in a world where we are so divided and people have such strong stances with border control that this farmer not only was kind, but also gave him a job and kind of helped him get to where he ended up in Chicago. Now, I understand with schooling for you, you have a very unique education journey. Would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, and and I think, um, you know, thank you for highlighting that. I think we're living in a time where um, I grew up, I certainly grew up in a different era. um, And I and and yourself now have seen states where they've they've passed laws um where it's okay to shoot someone right if if they trespass so i certainly understand the complexity of that story understanding the the day and era that we live in now so i I think that's really important to keep in mind Um, my i come from a family where uh, first of all, my my father, um, he graduated, he basically got as far as sixth grade. My mother got as far as third grade. And I grew up in a household where um, my parents didn't really quite know how to, how to navigate the educational system in the U.S., they didn't really, there was a language barrier to start with. And um, aside from that, I don't think they fully understood, nor did they know um, how to motivate us uh, academically. And so those were things that we had to figure out on our own, my two older brothers and myself. I, and my two older brothers um, never graduated from college. I, um, got out of high school and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I had so many questions and um, all I knew was that it needed to be something creative. And um, I think that's always been a a, a great part of me. Um, So my journey isn't the typical sort of graduate from high school, go straight to college. I, um, I tried to get into college and I did. The thing is that my father made too much money working in the steel mills for me to actually um, benefit from financial aid. And so I say that because I think that it's, it's, a, it's very relevant for a lot of people who are kind of, yeah, their parents might make, uh, make um, too much to qualify, but it, they still don't make enough to actually um, to stay in school. And so there's, there's a gray area there. 
Well, one thing that I think it's really important that, and I'm happy you're bringing this up as a conversation, is there's two aspects. One is navigating the educational system. Mm -hmm. And I grew up, both my parents were born here, they went to college, but even when I was going through high school and now what, it was still confusing and complicated. And you didn't know necessarily where to get information or about financial aid and all the forms you had to fill out. And these are coming from me where my parents went to college in this country. And, you know, I grew up on the North shore of Chicago with great resources and access, and I'm very lucky and blessed, but even that was still so challenging to navigate. So I can't even imagine those students who maybe don't have two parents that speak English like fluently or weren't raised in this country, like they're already at a disadvantage before we even get to the financial aspect of going to school. But then it's sad that in our country, we don't help students who want to learn. We make it so hard and the idea of coming out of school so in debt and especially you, you knew you wanted to go into the arts. You don't get Mm -hmm. rich being an artist or working in the arts. You do it because of the passion and fulfillment you get, but yet you're almost like kind of being choked by your student debt. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, you bring up a very valid point. And I think um, that's probably why I didn't end up going back to college until uh, nine years ago. Um, so I, it's 2013, I'm uh, working at the National Museum of Mexican Art, a place I love with all my heart. I love what I do. Um, I'm very fortunate. I think I'm one of those lucky people that can actually say that they love what they do for a living. However, I'm not going to lie to you. I, um, I constantly thought about the fact that I didn't have my undergraduate degree. I, it was a part of me that I felt was missing. And I really cannot explain, um, emphasize just how much that really weighed on me. But I say that with the caveat that um, having a degree should never fully define a person. Um, I think that there are so, I've met so many um, just wonderful, amazing, intelligent people who have been able to do so much with their lives without a degree. But um, for me, it was just something that I personally wanted to, to do. And so I did. 2013, I decided to do one of the craziest things in my life. I did not renew my, uh, my apartment lease. Uh, I had an apartment in Andersonville. I decided to leave my job, and I decided to sign up for, uh, for school. I got accepted into the Paul, and I um, got my undergrad in um, arts education and cultural policy. And um, I told myself that I was not going to go back to work full time until I finish a graduate degree. Um, You know, I think that sometimes we set out uh, to fulfill certain plans that we make for ourselves in life, but for whatever reason, um, those plans don't always work out the way they, that we planned them out. And um, it wasn't, um, so I, needless to say, 
I didn't go straight to graduate school. I kept procrastinating. I did attempt to enroll into a program, but I applied to this program with this feeling of, um, it just didn't sit well with me. I, I did it half-heartedly. I didn't really want to be accepted and I wasn't because, not because I didn't qualify for the program. It was because I actually applied to the wrong type of program. It was for people who were at an executive level position. And so I sat with that for a while, perhaps too long. And in 2020, I think everyone's lives changed because of COVID. And for me, what happened was that my brother died. Um, he was the 20, I didn't know this at the moment, but my brother was the 25th patient to have been diagnosed with COVID in the US, to have died with COVID. And I only learned this months later because one of his childhood, child, his childhood best friend um, had kept a copy of the New York Times and the New York Times dedicated their entire front page to the first 100 people in the US that died of COVID. That was one of the hardest um, things I have. It's the hardest uh, thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, grieving in isolation when you're told to stay at home, when you're told to not, um, to not uh, visit each other and to do everything you can to really help um, avoid the spread of, of COVID. Um, and also grieving is, it was, it was just hard. I was alone in my apartment. I kept the TV on because, um, a lot, because I, um, I just wanted to hear something else instead of silence. And, um, and so I thought long and hard about my brother. I thought about his life and I thought about what his life taught me, what my brother taught me. And I realized that my brother was really um, someone who lived life to the fullest. He didn't always necessarily have a plan, but one thing um, that anyone you ask will tell you is that he lived a very happy life. And so I realized, okay, you know, Jorge, you have been putting off school, graduate school, and you promised yourself you were going to do this. So I submitted that application. And this program felt, it felt really aligned with my values, with some of the things that I, 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 I saw myself doing. And um, I had worked in Verco County government for a bit. Um, and I thought to myself, well, you know, what if you end up, I, I thought about the many different possibilities with this type of degree. And so I went ahead and applied. Uh, I got a phone call, uh, an email, and they wanted to schedule an interview. And um, we went over the interview. And I remember them asking me who I admire. And I, I mentioned my brother. And my voice started cracking during the interview. And I started crying and I lost it. And I, I explained to them that, um, that I admired him because he lived life to the fullest. And I realized that I have to pursue everything that I want to accomplish. And that was the reason that I had applied. Then I, um, I, um, 
got an email and I remember I got the notification on my phone that a decision had been made. So for anyone who has not applied to graduate school, basically the process is you apply, you get an email, but you have to log on to their website. And that's where the, ter the, the termination, the, uh, the decision is, um, is displayed. So I ran to my office and I remember staring at my brother's urn on the window ledge. And I remember just thinking, I paused before I hit enter. And I said, if I do, if I get in, I'm doing this for me, I'm doing this for you, and I'm doing this for our community. And I started crying when I saw congratulations. So I'm now a student at the Harris School of Public Policy for the University of Chicago. And hopefully I'll be done in March. So your brother, Mauricio, what is your favorite memory with your brother? So, wow, um, I have so many, but one of the best memories I have is my brother did not have the best relationship with my father, unfortunately. They always um, argued, and um, my brother, though, had the best attitude. He was always, he's, he was always that one uh, person that was always in a good mood, always happy, and um, he was also everyone's cheerleader. Um, I don't know if you have someone in your life that cheers you on regardless of your circumstances, but if you don't, you should. And my brother was that person for not just myself, but for everyone around him. And he constantly told everyone that, he told me that he loved me and that he was proud of me. And at his wake, I learned that he had, he was the same person with everyone, his friends. And um, hearing people from different, who had crossed, crossed paths with Mauricio at different points of, of his life and knowing that that was the message that he, that he shared with everyone really made me proud of him. But the one memory that I, I think I'd like to share is my brother, um, so my parents, let me backtrack a little bit. My parents had decided to, to vent, to do, to they decided to open up a, a restaurant. It was a business venture that they decided to pursue that they probably shouldn't have. Um, neither my father nor my mother have any type of background in business management. And so I think without that business administration um, experience, it can be quite challenging, but this is something they wanted to do. And uh, about a year and a half later, they ended up declaring bankruptcy, filing for bankruptcy, and it was it took a, a financial toll on my family. Um, but uh, what happened as a as um, one of the repercussions was my brother having to drop out of private school. He was we were all enrolled in uh, Catholic school, and uh, Catholic education. Let me just say that. My mom always wanted us to have a Catholic education. Um, and it wasn't necessarily because we were Catholic, because to be quite frank, we didn't really go to church. It was simply because my mom came from a place where she was told private education is a better education. 
it was more so about that. So here we are, and there are four of us at this point. My um, my parents made the hard decision of choosing between my two older brothers, and they asked Mauricio if he could drop out, of, if he could, if they could switch him to a public school. He decided to drop out of school um, shortly after enrolling into the local high school because he was being um, pressured into joining a gang, and um, and so he realized if he didn't if he didn't join, he was going to get beat up on a, on a daily basis. So he dropped out, started working at a factory, um, and my parents uh, eventually later after the business venture were facing financial difficulties. I remember there were times where my brother carried the family, uh, the carry, he carried the family on his back. What I mean by that is financially. He was the one that helped us make ends meet. He was the one that would buy, sometimes buy groceries. And that one year was, I, I could tell that we were hurting financially. When you're a child and you can tell that your um, your family is struggling, you it's know. not easy. Yeah. It's not. No, I I I remember growing up. My dad was is in real estate in the OA bubble, and I remember yes. being in college. I was working two jobs um, while being in school full time, and no one could understand why I was working so much. And yes, yeah. it was partially research, but I knew that money was going to help offset because I never wanted to have to ask for money because I felt so guilty that I was away at school and what was going on. So I, I definitely get that. But I think you even just sharing that about your brother, one, in the Jewish religion, we always say when someone passes away, like, may their memory always be a blessing. And I think that just hearing about how people at the wake talked about how your brother made them feel the same way that he made you feel, like there is no doubt that his memory will live on in those he touched. And even you just sharing about how he helped your family, I think it just describes the incredible man and individual he was. So I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. You know that you're you're absolutely right. And I think I think when you when you grow up your entire life a certain way, you don't notice. But when you grow up with Christmas presents over flooding the base of the Christmas tree, like you know, in our household, when you grow up and your family is always throwing these huge holiday parties and everyone comes over, um, and your house, your household is basically the center of you know of celebrations going from that to a christmas holiday season where there's a christmas tree but there's no there are no presents underneath the christmas tree um i felt bad mostly for my little sister because i remember her saying you know she's like she looked she came up to me and she's like so we're not going to celebrate christmas and she was sad and so I was only, I think, 11 or 12, and I thought to myself, I, I don't know what happened, but something in me felt compelled to celebrate Christmas somehow. So I told her, yes, we are. 
And she said, what are we going to do? I said, come with me. So we grabbed the mattress in my bag and we pushed it up against the Christmas tree. The Christmas lights are on and they're twinkling. And I put, I popped the frozen pizza in the oven and I started popping popcorn. And we sat on the mattress staring at the Christmas tree and uh, watching TV and uh, eating pizza and um, popcorn. And that's the way we started celebrating Christmas. And then the morning after, my brother shows up with presents. My brother Maurice just showed up with presents for everyone. I remember opening up my very first Transformer. It was Optimus Prime. And it was, every child has a one gift. There's this one gift that you absolutely, absolutely want. And for me, that was that one toy. That was Optimus Prime. For my sister, she ended up with Rainbow Bright. And it was the year that my brother made uh, everyone happy. Um, not, it wasn't the only year. He, he had m many moments like that, but he, that year, he saved the holidays for us. Well, I also would just have to say, I think your sister probably will remember that experience with you and you trying to like make it fun and like to celebrate more so than like having a ton of gifts. And I think that if yeah. the pandemic has taught us anything, it's those memories of being with those that you love that you should cherish more than the material aspects because we never know. And I think it's- Absolutely. I hope that people- start to realize that a little bit more but kind of shifting a little so you grew up in a yeah. very in a you went to catholic school for part of your life but you grew up catholic but you also are a member of the chicago lgbt hall of fame because you were inducted yes. in 2009 what I was that it. experience coming out with to your parents were they accepting um how did that kind of shape relationship with them yeah you know I always start off by saying that and I don't know why I I say this but it's really the closest thing that can that I can say that captures how I felt at that moment in my life the outcome I imagined was a lot worse than the reality I endured and what I mean by that is I just you know I had I had all these fears of coming out because I didn't know how my family was going to react. I didn't know whether or not they were going to be supportive. And I think, I think to a certain degree, um, growing up with, um, it wasn't necessarily, uh, it wasn't about me growing up in a household where machismo was um, projected. It was more so about the things I learned from the media about my culture. I think sometimes media can can um, play a role where we're miseducated about our own culture, cultures. And I say that plural because I, I think um, we learn the wrong, we had sometimes learn things that are not accurate about other cultures as well. And so I thought, well, geez, you know, they're not going to accept me. But my mother and my father, my brothers, everyone was so accepting. My, um, the first person to, I, that I told was my oldest brother, Eliseo, and he was uh, very supportive. I cried, he cried, and he's like, you know, you're gonna be fine. Mom and dad are gonna be so accepting. My mom has been to so many of my birthday celebrations and she always wants to um, give speeches. 
because for her, I think she realizes that there are a lot of people out there who, um, unfortunately, whose families are not as accepting. And she wants them to have a moment where they feel loved by a mother figure. And so um, I've had friends cry at my birthday party. <clears throat> I'm almost like about to cry. That's like amazing that your mom realizes that other individuals have not had like the same acceptance and that she's taken it upon herself to make them feel accepted at your birth, which I love. My mom, actually, I had a, I had a birthday party um, in maybe it was 2009. I don't remember, to be honest with you. The theme was um, color me fuchsia. So everyone was required to wear fuchsia. And my mom is like ducked out in a fuchsia colored dress and a, she's wearing like a, a scarf and she starts giving a speech. And my friend, David, who's about 56, 59 now, um, he, was young, he was younger then. I, I was turning, I don't even remember how old I was turning, but I can tell you this, so many of my older friends were crying. And I, I didn't realize that the speech meant so much to them, but I, I think years later, I realized, you know, every now and then I remember that party, I would go through, I go through my pictures. Um, and I, I think about the, all my, my older friends that were crying. And then I realized, well, geez, okay, if you think about it, it's because their, their, their parents are were not as accepting and they, they shared stories about this. So I, it, you know, it breaks my heart, but it also warms my heart knowing that my mom is trying to provide some sense of love from a motherly figure, at least for a moment, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think um, I, I can only say wonderful things about my, my parents and my, my family uh, being supportive. My nephew, my, my late brother Mauricio's son said to me recently, he's like, uncle, I have a question for you. And I said, sure. So he's like, this is over dinner. He's like, would you rather be rich and single or poor and uh, happily married? And I said, um, rich, duh. And I said, I was joking. And he's like, uncle. And I go, I'm kidding. And I go, no. Um, and he's, he's like, he tells me, he's like, stop. He's like, uncle, I only ask you because, and he's been asking me a lot lately about me dating. And he's like, I think that I really wanna see you happy. I wanna see you married with a man that you love. And I just think that, you know, out besides my father, you and my father are the two, two middle-aged, <laughs> he calls me middle-aged, he's like two middle-aged men who I think are, are pretty handsome. And I said, mijo, thank you so much. I call him mijo. I said, thank you, mijo. I said, listen, I'm not ready to date right now. Um, I, I'm dating is on pause for me because of grad school, but I'm done in March. So I said, either the home or the husband will come first. I don't know. <laughs> I love that he observed that, said that, and that you guys have that kind of relationship. I'm sure that's very, not only special to you, but really important to him as well. Jorge, as a member of the LGBT community, you started Homo Frequencia, 
Can you tell us what that is and a little bit more about it? Yeah, it's yeah. the it was the first Spanish language uh, LGBT radio show um, for youth in the country. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. How did you <laughs> start that? What made you want to start it and continue growing it? That's a great question, and um, so. Oof. Okay. When I, um, so going back to my work with the National Museum of Mexican Art, at one point the museum owned um, a radio station. Uh, it was a community, community broadcasting station that was based in Tulsan. And that particular uh, frequency was at one point housed out of the boys and the Chicago Boys and Girls Club in Little Village. That's where the antenna remained. It was a youth training program that provided young people with an opportunity to pursue radio broadcasting. And so you had people who learned about um, everything from radio production to uh, becoming that on-air personality. And so it was something that I was simply fascinated with at, uh, at that point in my life. And I loved it. And we our, our programming was designed in such a way where we had, you know, the typical music music format, but we also had a talk, uh, talk radio. It was a mixed radio format, and the core programming uh, is what we called it, where um, the museum uh, would allocate certain funds to pay for producer to um, to basically focus on a. a educational type of a program. We had everything from a um, women's uh, radio show, uh, other program that led that that focused on immigration issues. And I felt like I felt like I felt that there was a gap in the programming because um, I realized that every, with every class that uh, would uh, would start, a few of the students would come out as uh, either gay or lesbian um, at, or even genderqueer. Back then, we didn't call it genderqueer, though. Um, it's it's interesting to, to see how language has evolved to capture the identities of people who didn't quite fit into neither this nor that. So it's right? interesting you say this. Another podcast guest, uh, Jameson Green, um, transitioned in the late 1980s, and him and I talk a lot about verbiage and yes. how it's changed so yes but, yeah. yeah and so I remember like just seeing some of the students who didn't identify as as um as gay but would show up in heels and they were they they you would assume that they were male but they didn't identify as female or male and you and, and so uh, Vigo was with their name. And so it was a very interesting um, journey for both Vigo and for ourselves to navigate with them. But all of this led me to think about how um, it, we needed an, uh, a radio program that focused on LGBT uh, issues. And so I proposed it. And um, the general manager at the time said, no, I was the assistant general manager, though. So I said, what's going to happen anyway? I'm just going to, I need to figure out a way to do it. Sometimes in life, if they say no, you just, you got to do it. So I will say my favorite quote is one of Chris 
Jenner's and she says, if you're asking somebody for something and they say, no, you're asking the wrong person. Yes. And I have really taken that to heart. So I feel you on that one. It's true. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Mallory. I, I think that that no really, it burned. It really burned. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to take no for an answer. So I decided to basically um, work with the program director. And I said, hey, listen, I have this idea. She's like, oh, my God, that's a wonderful idea. And I, that year, here's the thing that I, did, I, I failed to mention. Um, what led to what led me to this decision was that that year we had about eight students who had come out as either lesbian, gay, or simply neither. And, um, and so I, I said, you know, our student body is telling us that they want, they feel comfortable here enough to share this is, that this is who they are. Imagine if you multiply that by the number of listeners out there, Everyone out there needs should have a sense of community. And so I told her, I said, can you block out this time slot and um, I'll start designing the promotional campaign and we'll, we'll start putting together um, the radio show. And she said, absolutely. So one thing led to another. I met, I met with the with the youth. We started producing the radio show. And then when by the time the promos, hit the um, uh were programmed into um heavy rotation into programming the general manager really couldn't do any anything at that point because what happened was that then the lgbt media there were two publications in chicago at the time one picked up the story then the other then the chicago tribune then univision and it was just it was one thing led to another we were on national news we um we were I, I just remember for the first three months i think we were doing interviews on a weekly basis and um we were invited to conferences and so you know the general manager didn't really want to look bad and so she changed her tune and she decided to allocate a part-time position so that's how it happened you know when the radio program took off at one point, I would say that Omo Frequencia was more popular than the radio station Radio Arte, which is unheard of. You know, maybe maybe in some cases, but um, here's the thing. I remember our development department at the museum uh, gets a phone call from a funder, a very conservative funder, and they mainly focus on financial literacy. So it's interesting that we're you know talking about this, but. They said, oh, um, so the, they, got a note, they got a phone call. No, it was the other way around. Our development director called them. Hey, um, we got the notification. We didn't get the renewal grant. What happened? It was $20,000. And the uh, program officer was like, um, the, the, he, he was like, yeah, you know, um, we don't think it that the museum- It doesn't align with it or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know With our values. Words. Yep. The yeah. values yeah, yeah. and what you're talking yes. about, and you know, we just found mm -hmm. an organization to give the money to that aligns closer yeah. with what we think you know should be allocated to or whatever. Well, they were actually more specific than that because they sure. said it was it was the radio it was us, and so the they he said, well, we're doing all these wonderful things. We just launched a radio program for LGBT youth, and he's like, yeah, about that. It's not, it's definitely not aligned with what our values. 
But you know what? Here's the thing. Um, everything happens for a reason because I went online and I searched and I researched and I researched and I just kept checking LGBT, gay, lesbian grants. I'm using the language from back then. We got a grant for $125,000. Um, but when you were inducted into the Chicago LGBT uh, Hall of Fame in 2009, mm -hmm. what did that mean to you? Wow. You know, that's, that's also a great question, Mallory. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where uh, it doesn't really hit you while it's happening to you. Well, that, that was me back then. It's 2009. I, I don't, I didn't really fully capture. I don't know why. It's almost like I was, I think about it now, and it's almost like I was in a haze. Um, my mind was in a haze. Um, I remember, this is weird, but I'll tell you this now. I got a phone call and I answered it and it was a friend of mine from, um, from grammar school. And her name is Rachel, is Rachel. And she's like, uh, I'm like, hello? She's like, hey, I just want you to know that I'm so proud of you. And I said, oh, I go, who is this? I didn't, I, we had not kept in touch in years. And she's like, it's Rachel. And for, she's like, it's Rachel from Ludmilla. And I'm like, oh my God. She's like, listen, I'm gonna be really quick because I know you're busy. And she's like, I just want to know that I'm proud of you. And I'm so happy for all that you've done for LGBT youth. And I like my, I just felt like, I don't know. It just warmed my heart to get a phone call from an old grammar school friend. And all of this is happening as I'm writing the red line and the train is completely empty for some reason, but I'm, I'm writing the red line on the way to, uh, no, it's not the red line. I'm writing the pink line on the way to downtown. And I'm, yeah, it was just, it was weird like to, that experience being on a train that's not that crowded. And here I am on my way to something so monumental, but I'm, I'm alone and I get there and all my friends are there. And I could have asked for a ride, but I didn't. I just, there was, it, it's almost like all of that needed to happen because um, I don't know. It, it, it was such a monumental moment. My mom is there. Mayor Daly um, was there. And my mom, it's funny because my mom, um, it, she got all very fancy. She was wearing this, this cocktail dress and there was a lot of shine on that dress. <laughs> so I said, mom, you know, I'm like, wow. She's like, I needed to get all decked out. And I said, yeah, you definitely did. And so we're taking a picture with Mayor Daly. My mom doesn't know the, um, the she's not really familiar with uh, that a political figure should always be in the center of the picture. So my mom gets in the middle and Mayor Daly's like, oh, you want to be in the middle? Okay, you be in the middle, mama. <laughs> so we have my picture for the induction uh, into the LGBT Hall of Fame is with my mother in the center and Mayor Daly on the one side and I'm on the other. My ask is, can you please send me a copy of that so we can post it on our social media? Because that is just too funny to me. I will. I love, that. I will. I love your mom. Cool. I like want to meet her. Um, I want to move on to now the National Museum of Mexican Art. 
I'm really excited yeah. to talk about this. But first, I want to talk about your mentor. Edward Diaz is at the Smithsonian, and he really was the one that encouraged you also to go back to school. Talk about what mm-hmm. it's like having him as a mentor and why it's important for those in the art world or even anywhere really to find those mentors that encourage you and help you along the way. Yeah, you know, I think um, having a, having mentors, it's, it's first of all, I think, um, I had to say this because I think oftentimes we're not um, raised or taught to seek out mentors in our lives. And sometimes we just need advice and it isn't necessary. We need life advice, right? And um, that type, those, those, those heavy questions, those really significantly complicated um, questions that we have about life or what we're doing with our lives, um, they sometimes don't come from us. They come from us going through this process of talking it through with someone else. Um, they should always come from us, but you have to have someone to talk to. And so I say that because for anyone that's listening, anyone that's watching, I think that's really, really important. Um, and so I thought to myself, I wanted to have a mentor committee of uh, people in my life that I could trust with questions and and whose opinions I valued and appreciated. And for me, that was my boss, Carlos Ocolero, and Edward Diaz. Eduardo Diaz is is a person that I met through work. I met him through through my boss. And he, at one point, was the executive director of the Hispanic Cultural Center out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's now the, um, the president and CEO of the Smithsonian uh, Latino Museum in Washington, D.C. And, you know, it's, it's funny because he was already in D.C. when I asked if he could be my mentor as, um, as I was embarking on this um, journey back to school. Um, and so um, the reason... I asked him was part of the requirement of uh, school was for me to have a professional mentor. And he said, of course, absolutely. And he took time out of his schedule to fly to Chicago ever so often to check in with me, my academic mentor at school. And so the three of us would meet, we would talk, we would have lunch and he would say, how are you? He would ask me, how's it going? And every time I bump into him at a conference, he always wanted to get some coffee, catch up, and he would always ask me, hey, how's everything going with graduate school? When I was considering, after my brother died, and I decided, okay, we're applying to school. And I don't know if I told you this, Mallory, before, but I was accepted into both uh, Harris, uh, their um, public policy program, but I was also accepted into Northwestern School Professional Studies for their... um, they have an, it's a master's in public administration and public policy, um, MAPP program. And so I was like, wow, okay, I've gotten accepted into t- these two um, prestigious universities and 
I was a little conflicted because on the one hand, everyone kept telling me, culturally speaking, just from um, the type of person, like, I, I guess with the type of learning environment, uh, what would I, where I would blend in a lot better, everyone felt that I would, um, that Northwestern was perhaps a better uh, option for me. But um, Eduardo Diaz, my mentor, and a few other people told me, you know what? I would go with a University of Chicago, challenge the system. There, it has a, a very complicated history. Go into the belly of the beast, and it's true. I think that this learning, um, this learning moment in my life. First of all, you said it earlier. My learning, um, my academic journey has been very non-traditional, very different. But this moment in my life has been very challenging academically. But I've learned so much. I've also learned that um, that I shouldn't be afraid to ask questions, to push back, to challenge my professors. And every with every class that I sit through, I gain a little bit more confidence. And it's almost like um, I've found my voice. And there's nothing that feels better than to be able to speak your mind and just to show the world that you actually have something to contribute. You're speaking to my soul right now because I also, I would say like in the last year have really found my voice and I've always loved to ask questions and push back. But I think for our listeners out there, when you're younger, you're afraid because you want to be liked. You don't want to be that person that, oh, they're talking again or, you know, comes off aggressive. So, but it's so important because that's how you learn when you push back and there's a little friction, like you're learning with somebody else, you're learning their viewpoint, you're trying to understand where they're coming from and it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to respectfully disagree with someone and argue. Now it's not okay to speak a certain way or act a certain way but if you do it in a respectful manner and question that's the only way we evolve and we grow is when we question the status quo i agree with you 100 percent. i think that there's a way of doing things and if you if all i think for me one of the things that i do and I hope that, you know, if this serves as, as advice that someone else can follow, then great. Um, take it or toss it. But I always, when I ask a question, I ask myself. Sometimes I get a little emotional or like a little sort of, um, when I become very passionate about a topic, I'm like, ooh, I have to keep myself in check. But then I, I ask myself, all I'm doing is engaging in dialogue. This is a discussion. This is an exchange of ideas. And if I get too emotional or too passionate, I ask myself, are you in the right? And it's like almost like a two-track mind. So as long as you check, um, you're checking in with yourself and if you feel it's significantly important, something that truly matters to you, then you have to speak your mind. Otherwise, what's gonna happen is you're gonna think about that moment where you didn't speak your mind and the things that you should have said, how you should have said them, that doesn't matter. It's, it's always seize the moment, speak your mind. If it matters to you, it matters to someone else in the room. Because the worst is when you don't speak your mind and you walk away and it's like added weight on your shoulders. Yes. Like I should have yes. said this or why yes. was I so afraid 
Like if you have that question or you have that thought, just like you said, other people in the room do as well. So they're not going to judge you or wonder why you're asking this question. Half the time they're thinking the same thing or have the same question. So for all our listeners, I think we as a society would be so much better off if we ask questions. Kind of what this podcast is about is really asking and learning from one another because Jorge, you and I are very different, but we're connecting on so many topics. And I hope that that not only is coming across to listeners, but by asking questions, you get to see how similar we are. Um, I agree 100%. So about the um, National Museum of Mexican Art, it's located in the Pilsen neighborhood in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, I do believe it's free, correct? It is entrance. So listeners, you can definitely get over there, but talk to us a little bit about the museum. Why do you love being the director of performing arts? Um, What are you most proud of? You know, give us the complete download on it. So I think, um, you know, I think about this uh, a lot. And so for me, I'm just fortunate enough to work some, to work for a museum where I feel represented, where um, I don't necessarily have to separate my life from my work because I'm working to amplify my culture. And so that in itself is a privilege. It really is. Um, to be able to uh, to just show the world the best of my culture is such a privilege and it's something that I don't take lightly it's something that I take very seriously um I what I do is I curate um multidisciplinary arts festivals primarily focusing on performing arts so I get to travel to uh, different parts of the country and to Mexico and to bring back different performers, whether it be uh, theater projects, um, music uh, companies, um, film projects. Um, Yeah, it's a a little bit of everything. Um, And so I bring it back to Chicago and I showcase it. And it's just, it's a wonderful opportunity. I, I mean, I just, you know, sometimes I just can't imagine that I do this for a living. And aside from that, it's also, you know, working in the arts is, it's a very progressive environment. And so it's also very accepting of uh, who I am as a person. I'm not going to separate being Mexican American or being Latino or Latinx from being a queer, right? And so I am able to fully be myself in this working space. Um, And so I think because of the museum's support, I've been able to start projects like Homo Frecuencia, which, you know, again, was the first Spanish language LGBTQ radio show in U.S. history. I made history with a group of young people um, because of the museum support. And then we started a queer prom. That queer prom has been going on since, oh, geez. uh, Oh, my God. Let's see. uh, 2003. Wow. So... Queer Prom has been going on for 19 years now, and we're about to do Queer Prom again. And, you know, I actually just had a meeting with the committee. And so it's, yeah, like, I'm, it, it's because of all these things that, that, 
that the National Museum of Mexican Art is just such a wonderful, it's, it's, it's a wonderful place to work for. Um, the exhibitions are amazing. And also, you know, the museum is one of, it, it, it's one of very few free museums in Chicago. Um, you know, we're, we're fortunate, you and I and everyone who, of your listeners that live in Chicago, to live in a city with so much cultural diversity, but also our museums, we have some amazing museums. And I just hope that people take some time to explore the different neighborhoods, the different museums, because we have some cultural gems in Chicago. Well, I will say I'm very excited to come to the museum. I'm hoping uh, I can come and meet you in person. So um, I'm really excited about that. Every episode, we end with the same three questions. Um, So the first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you live by, what would that be? Famous words by my mother, Maria Canchola Valdivia. And I'll say it in Spanish and then I'll translate it. No vengo a ver si puedo, sino que vengo porque sé que puedo. I'm not here to see if I can do this. I'm here because I know I can do this. And it's something that I carry with me um, throughout, I've carried with me throughout my entire life. It's my mantra. I know I can do this. I I think um, imposter syndrome is something that I've struggled with. And every time I feel like I don't belong in a space, every time I feel like, like I simply am not enough, I, 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 I repeat those words. And those words have helped me through different points of my life. That's a powerful mantra. I might steal it. I absolutely can agree with that one. Um, if you could relive any one day what day would you choose? Whew. Um, okay. If I could relive any one day, it would probably be, uh, this is going to sound like, it's going to sound crazy, but the day they called us from um, the hospital to tell us that my brother wasn't going to make it, they called um, to see if we wanted to um, say goodbye. And I didn't, my, um, my brother, my older brother, Eliseo, and my sister, my younger sister, Jessica, they did. Um, so they got to say goodbye, but I didn't. And um, I kind of wish I, I would have, you know? And so if there's anyone out there who's listening, and if you have a chance to say goodbye, do it. Just do it. Um, only because, and it shouldn't be something sad. I think it's simply about closure and closure can be a good thing. It's not that I didn't take it, like it, it's not that I didn't get to say goodbye. It's simply that I wish I had, that's all. And um, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I think about it every now and then. And, you know, granted COVID, there was so much uncertainty. Um, and I think there was a, definitely a lot of fear there still is but um that's the one thing the one day I would probably like to relive just so I could say goodbye was that goodbye in person or was that like over zoom it was goodbye so my goodbye was over an ipad my brother my sister was carrying an ipad in the hospital and she was behind the window 
um, staring at my brother and I got to see him that way. But I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. But I don't know, like that's that's the one day I, I, um, I wish I could relive because, you know, losing someone is, is hard. And I think that um, there's no, perhaps there's simply no right way of saying good, goodbye to someone that you love. Maybe that's it. No, because that's just it. We don't want to say goodbye. Yeah. And so you almost don't want to have to go through it. You're so right. It's, yeah, it's never easy. There, and I don't think that there is a right way to say goodbye. To be honest. You know, you're right. You're right. I, I think, um, yeah, you're almost making me second guess my, my answer now. Oh, you don't have to second guess it. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But, you know, I think it's like a coin toss. If you got to relive that day a hundred times, 50, 50 times, I think you would say yes. 50, you would probably say no. It just. It's true. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, having this conversation right now with you, I think um, I'm reminded of, of uh, something that I've, I've learned to see in my older years. Um, Maybe it's part of adulting. I don't know. And maybe it's therapy because it, and it's definitely something that I've learned there. It's about, it's a, it most definitely is, but it's about realizing that there isn't a black or white. Sometimes there's a gray area. And I think that's life, you know, learning how to see things not as binary, not as black or white, but sometimes sort of looking um, to think more critically and to sort of, you know, think things through. And so, yeah, in this case, maybe it's that, you know, it is a coin toss and, and there is no right answer and there wouldn't have been a right or wrong way to say goodbye. We simply don't want to say goodbye. Yeah. So the final question is, um, if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, what song would you choose? I am ready for this one. So there's a group, Chicago-based group called Drama. And it's so funny because I'm pretty sure you're familiar with them. We talked about this. Um, I love drama. And I think the theme song for me would be Walk Away for many different reasons. And so I think, you know, I'll start off by saying this. They define their, their music as happy, sad music. And I love that because, again, you know, I just said that, you know, um, learning how to look at the gray area, neither happy nor sad, is really important, I think, in life. And, and so this is the, like, definitive sort of, like, uh, epitome of, of learning that, you know? Um, it's happy, sad music. And the song is really about someone who realizes that the person they're in a relationship with isn't as committed to that relationship as they are. And, you know, I think that in some ways, it's like the ultimate love song that you can dedicate to yourself because you're telling that person walk away and you weren't able to give me what I deserve, but you're also going to um, regret it ultimately. And, you know, and, and so, but to also have the emotional maturity and conf- emotional confidence um, to be able to stand up for yourself and, um, and tell that person, you cannot give me what I want, I think is a true act of love to yourself. And so for all those reasons and more, it's Walk Away by Drama. 
Well, I'm very excited to be adding that to the For Your Listening Pleasure uh, guest theme song playlist on Spotify so our listeners can hear it and maybe it's their new anthem or what they need to hear in the moment. Um, Jorge, this has been so lovely. Thank you so, so much for being so open and vulnerable. I've had so much fun with you. Um, for our listeners, Likewise. please, please, please go and list, go and visit the National Museum of Mexican Art. Um, we'll be posting about it, letting them know. And then also when um, the gay prom comes, please let us know. We'll share it out with listeners. I'll be so excited to let people know. But this has been so lovely. So thank you. Mallory, thank you so much for the invitation. And um, thank you for for, you know, for doing this podcast, I think that um, anytime you're able to sit down with a stranger and talk about life, and regardless of how different you and that person may be, um, to be able to have a conversation and realize, geez, uh, uh, we actually have a lot in common. And you know, it, there's there's a lot of power in conversation. And so these kind of chats, these are the chats I like. 